We are in the season of Lent. It's the fifth Sunday of Lent. And uh, we've been working through the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is about return and rebuilding. We thought that would be uh, a great theme uh, for this year, Lent during pandemic, this idea of rebuilding and uh, rethinking and renewing and restoring and, and returning. Um, felt like those themes would uh, work with Lent. And Lent is a time where we uh, abstain uh, from something. That can be a very powerful thing. And I've said this uh, every week. And, you know, even though we're on the fifth week of Lent, if you haven't uh, come up with something to fast from, uh, it's not too late. It's not too late. We can get to Good Friday and it's not too late uh, to fast from something. There's an amazing thing that happens when we withhold from something. Um, I remember years past where it might be something as simple as coffee, just giving up coffee for a month, which doesn't seem like it has a ton of uh, spiritual value. I know there's a lot of disagreement about that, but um, it's coffee. You know, we, we all feel like we need it. And then when you get to this point where you realize you don't actually need it, you realize how tied you are to it, how bound you are to it. Now, it's just coffee, not a big deal. Yeah. But... <laughs> However, you discover something about yourself, right? We discover kind of how what we thought was free, we weren't as free as we thought we were. We were bound to something. And there can be this discovery that, oh, there's some freedom there, that there's a deliverance there. Um, and we learn something really powerful about ourselves. And the community of Israel, in this time that we're looking in this uh, passage is, is going through this time where they're looking back, they're, they're looking at themselves. And this morning in particular, we turn to a point where they are looking hard at themselves as they return back to Israel from exile. Um, <clears throat> there's a series of things that we started last week. There's a new section. As we get to Ezra and Nehemiah, which is one long book, actually, Ezra and Nehemiah are one book, we came to part two last week in uh, Nehemiah chapter eight. And in part two, what you see is a series of events where Israel gathers, they encounter God's word, and then they respond. And it happens three times. And so last week, what we saw is that they gathered together and they read, it says they read the law. And when it says the law, it's probably meaning the first few books of the Bible, or the first five books of the Bible. They're reading a story. It's not that they're reading laws, but that's what it's called, okay? The first five books of the Bible in Jewish history, the law. And so they're reading the law, and their response is weeping and mourning. And the Levites, the priests, Ezra, Nehemiah, I think three people are saying, don't, this is not a time to be sad. This is a time to celebrate. So the response is celebration, and which is odd. I think we, we just assume it's going to lead into mourning, but they, they are commanded, this is a time to celebrate. We have returned to the law. We have seen how faithful God is, and we have opened up these books and read this story, and it's a very powerful one. This is a time to rejoice. So the response is rejoicing and celebration. Then, we didn't dive into this uh, in uh, detail, but there's the, uh, as they're reading, they realize there's a festival, the festival called Sukkot, where they celebrate the time of their wandering in the wilderness. They look back to their past and say, God provided for us. And they have this week-long celebration where they build these lean-tos and tents, and they live out 
in these tents to celebrate that time in the book of Numbers where God leads them and provides for them. And it's another celebration. So the response is obedience. They realize that here's a festival. We need to follow this celebration. And so they do that. And the response is obedience. Celebration, obedience. And here we get to this third time where they assemble together, they encounter God's word, and they have a response. And finally, we get to this response of repentance and sorrow and kind of looking inward at themselves. Now, Israel, as they read these stories and they think about their past, Israel was in exile because of their idolatry and their injustice. And so one, the major point from last week is why would they start with celebration? Why is that so important? And I think that there's something there about knowing God. There's a, there, what they're reading is the way God has dealt with their ancestors and has been faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful. And I think last week when they were kind of said, you know, don't, don't be sorry, but celebrate, they want to enter into this relationship where they see God as a loving God, a creator who loves them and provides. And so there's something about knowing God deeply. Um, when we're flooded with the reality of God's love, I think we are more ready to respond in following. Right? Um, and there's probably something really important here to learn about discipleship. <laughs> Rather than starting at the point of we're sinners and we're damned, perhaps the starting point should be God loves you. Amen. God loves you. There's something that happens in our uh, the church, the evangelical, the more conservative side of the church, where there's this focus on um, knowing about God, getting information about God. Uh, and there's certainly a good, there important place for Bible study and understanding God's word. We do that every week. That's what we do. It's a part of our worship every week, is opening up the word and understanding it, trying to understand it more. That's certainly very important. But knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. And I, I read this quote this week. This is a, a book, uh, sort of book given to me by people in the church here uh, last October. Um, and it talks about knowing God and knowing yourself. It says, people who have never developed a deep personal knowing of God will be limited in the depth of their personal knowing of themselves. Failing to know God, they will be unable to know themselves, as God is the only context in which their being makes sense. Similarly, people who are afraid to look deeply at themselves will, of course, be equally afraid to look deeply at God. For such persons, ideas about God provide a substitute for direct experience of God. Too often we have settled for knowing about God rather than knowing God in a relational sense. And I think that's what last week was about. Knowing God. Let's look, let's read through the story. We're going to read through a story today too. Let's read through the story of Israel and see how God has loved and come back in love and the faithfulness of God over and over and over. Floodgate, we talked about this uh, Thursday night. We talked about the story of Zacchaeus, right? The tax collector, the Jewish tax collector who wants to see Jesus, climbs a tree. And Jesus looks up at him and says, 
uh, I need to come over and have dinner at your house. It's kind of forward, I guess, in that, probably in that world, it's fairly normal. Uh, but comes off as a bit forward. Zacchaeus is so excited. He invites Jesus into his home. And I think there's something bigger than that than just getting into the house. There's something more personal about that. Zacchaeus is bringing Jesus into the place where he lives, where he has conversations, where he has dinner, where he has friends over. He invites Jesus in. There's a knowing God. And as a result, he he says, uh, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone in collecting taxes, I will give back four times as much. We don't know the conversation. I don't know what happens there. We don't get the inside of the inside conversation. But Zacchaeus goes through a change. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. So you see both sides of that coin there. There's this inviting Jesus in, knowing God. And the result is he understands. He sees himself very clearly, but he's ready to respond after that experience with God. So we get to the second, the other side of that coin. Today, Last week we talked about knowing God, and now it's time, after that celebration, after that uh, glorious revelation of that God loves us so deeply that we cannot even fathom it, we're ready to respond, as they did the, the passage we didn't go deep on last week, but now they respond with repentance. And it has to do with looking in and knowing ourselves. I wasted... Lots of years knowing about God rather than knowing God. And I think a watershed moment uh, for me was when I really started meditating on the love that Jesus has for me and the ways in which I didn't love back. Um, Just the behaviors I had that, um, that did damage to relationships. And once I came to terms with myself... And God, and the love of God, I was able to move forward in those areas. I was able to put aside broken thoughts and behaviors that did damage these relationships. So I'm talking things like sarcasm and passive-aggressive behavior, avoiding conflict, all those sort of things that are pretty simple, but we all do in some way, shape, or form. Um, And I think a lot of it is hiding from ourselves when we do that. So there's a relational knowing. And it might seem strange as we get to this passage to, to see celebration, obedience, and response, and then, you know, there's another celebration after this. Um, it might seem a bit uh, scatterbrained and up and down, emotional highs and lows, but this is really, um, this is not unusual for the church calendar, what we do in the church, what uh, Jewish people do. Um, you have uh, Rosh Hashanah, it's a big celebration in Judaism. And it's followed by Yom Kippur, which is a time of repentance, which is then followed by this celebration of uh, Sukkot, which is a celebration. So you have this celebration, you have this time of introspection and repentance, and then this time of corporate celebration again. The church does this too. We have Christmas and Epiphany, followed by Lent, then followed by Easter. So the church calendar has these times built in. I've been seeing online a church I know is already keeps putting up this thing about, you know, do you believe in the resurrection? And I'm like, I'm not there yet. Can, can, we, can we stop and slow down and look at the great need that I have before we celebrate that? There's, there's a lot of power in being able to do that. So we're going to do it 
this morning, and we're going to have one of those times of, of prayer where we uh, stand up and if people feel led to pray, the, this is my prayer, and we all respond, or someone says, this, yeah, this is my prayer, this is our prayer. Um, a time of confession, um, and we'll get there in a moment. Um, and we, we started Lent with that same sort of thing, and it was beautiful to hear all the prayers. Um, so we get into this section where uh, Nehemiah, the people are gathering. And we're going to read through this story with them. And so we jump in at uh, chapter 9, verse 1. These first three verses are sort of an overview, an introduction to what will follow. On October 31st, the people assembled again, and this time they fasted and dressed in burlap. Remember last time they were commanded not to do this, but to celebrate. This time they dressed in burlap, sprinkled dust on their heads. This is a reminder that we are mortal, right? We came from dust, and to dust we will return. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. Then for three more hours they confessed their sins and worshipped the Lord their God. So this is just an... This is a foreshadowing of the whole service, and then they get into it. Now, it's not a three-hour reading, um, so we must have a, a shorter version here. But uh, they begin with praise. May your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. And what follows is a, a prayer slash sermon. Um, <clears throat> but I love the fact that throughout this whole book, the first place to turn is God. They're, that's where their prayer starts. Now, this is a little bit odd because often our prayers start with our need and then maybe end with thanksgiving to God or whatever and end with praise. And we see that all over in the Bible. The book of Psalms is always starting with this sort of distress or this trial and typically ends in praise. But they just have come off this two celebrations and they're starting with praise. It will end with lament at the end. But I love this starting point. May your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted over all, above all, blessing and praise. And then they go into this story. And I'm going to read all of this story. Okay, This is a story of Israel. Now it's broken up into sections, creation, Abraham, Exodus, wilderness wanderings, and then Israel as a nation. And so I'm going to try to lead us through the different sections because this is... Uh, Israel's story, but there's some very transferable uh, things to think about, some principles to think about as we read through this. And the sections get longer as they go. But I thought it would be good for us to just read it. This is what they're doing, right? They don't have speakers and videos and smoke machines like some churches I've seen have. This is their big production. They gather together and they read out loud, right? People don't have books. They don't have Bibles sitting in their homes. They would gather together and read. And so we are going to read together. Oh, not together. I'll read. But um, I want you to imagine, to kind of get your mind in a, in a spot to hear these words and hear them deeply. 
We begin with creation. And this prayer begins, You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserved them all. And the angels of heaven worship you. The prayer then proceeds into this time of Abraham. This is going chronologically. And one of the things I want you maybe to think about as we read about Abraham are God's promises. This is what God gave Abraham, a promise of land and descendants and blessing. So we continue. You are the Lord God who chose Abram, brought him from Ur of the Chaldeans, and renamed him Abraham. When he had proved himself faithful, you made a covenant with him to give him and his descendants the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Jebusites, and the Girgashites. And you have done what you promised, for you are always true to your word. We move on into the story of Exodus, and perhaps you can think of a time where you were delivered, as Israel was delivered. And we continue, verse 9. You saw the misery of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cries from beside the Red Sea. You displayed miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, his officials, and all his people. For you knew how arrogantly they were treating our ancestors. You have a glorious reputation that has never been forgotten. You divided the sea for your people so that they could walk through on dry land. And then you hurled their enemies into the sea, the depths of the sea. They sank like stones beneath the mighty waters. You led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night so that they would find their way. You came down at Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and instructions that were just and decrees that commands and commands that were good. You instructed them concerning your holy Sabbath and you commanded them through Moses your servant to obey all your commands, decrees, and instructions. The prayer now moves into... Israel's time of wandering, and perhaps we can think of times where God provided for us, God's providence. Verse 15, you gave them bread from heaven when they were hungry, water from the rock when you were thirsty. You commanded them to go and take possession of the land you had sworn to give them. But our ancestors were proud and stubborn, they paid no attention to your commands. They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you had done for them. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry, and rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them. Even when they made an idol shaped like a calf, and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. They, commanded, they committed terrible blasphemies. 
But in your great mercy, you did not abandon them to die in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud still led them forward by day, and the pillar of fire showed them the way through the night. You sent your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not stop giving them manna from heaven or water for their thirst. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. And now we move into the time where Israel is in the land, um, and perhaps in this time of turning inward and being honest with ourselves, we can think of times where we took for granted all that God gave us. Then you helped our ancestors conquer kingdoms and nations. You placed your people in every corner of the land. They took over the land of King uh, Sarhon of uh, Heshbon and the land of King Og of Bashan. You made their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and brought them into the land you had promised to their ancestors. They went in and took possession of the land. You subdued whole nations before them. Even the Canaanites who inhabited the land were powerless. Your people could deal with these nations and their kings as they pleased. Our ancestors captured and fortified cities and fertile land. They took over houses full of good things with cisterns already dug and vineyards and olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. They ate until they were full and grew fat and enjoyed themselves in all your blessings. But despite all this, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who warned them to return to you. They committed terrible blasphemies. You handed them over to the, their enemies who made them suffer. But in their time of trouble, they cried to you. And you heard them from heaven. In your great mercy, you sent them liberators who rescued them from their enemies. But as soon as they were at peace, your people again committed evil in your sight. And once more, you let their enemies conquer them. Yet whenever your people turned and cried to you again for help, you listened once more from heaven. In your wonderful mercy, you rescued them many times. You warned them to return to your law but they became proud and obstinate and disobeyed your commands. They did not follow your regulations by which people will find life only if they obey. They stubbornly turned their backs on you and refused to listen. In your love, you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit who warned them through the prophets, but still they wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the people of the land to conquer them. But in your great mercy, you did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. And that's the first part of the confession. Reciting the story of Israel. It's the longest section, but the next part is right in the, in the middle. This is the middle section of this whole thing. Not in terms of the words how long they are, but in terms of the structure. Here it is. Here's the petition. After all this, that they read and recite the story of Israel, they say now in verse 32, Now God, our God, the great 
and mighty and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love. Do not let all the hardships we have suffered seem insignificant to you. Great trouble has come upon us and upon our kings and leaders and priests and prophets and ancestors. All of your people from the days when the kings of Assyria first triumphed over us until now. That's their ask. Don't forget us. Remember that you are faithful. This is a New Testament thing as well. I mentioned this a while back. There's several key passages in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians where it says the faithfulness of Jesus saves us. The faith of Jesus saves us. We're used to hearing faith in Jesus, and surely we need to have faith in Jesus. But there's these key passages that talks about the faithfulness, God becoming flesh, living among us, being obedient, even to the point of death. And here we see it again, the faithfulness of God. And I don't know if you noticed, but in that recitation of Israelite history, there's so many times where God is the subject of very gracious and actions that are gifts to people. God, you did this. God, you did this. God, you did this. You did all these good things for us. And so now we ask, do not forget us. Do not leave us here. No kings are named. There's no individuals. This is a community thing. This is us as a group. Remember us. We have the second part of confession where it shifts from Israel's past and connects it to the present community. Every time you punished us, you were being just. We have sinned greatly and you have given us uh, only what we deserved. Our kings, leaders, priests, and our ancestors did not obey your law or listen to the warnings and your commands and laws, even while they had their own kingdom. They did not serve you. Though you showered your goodness on them, you gave them a large fertile land, but they refused to turn from their wickedness. And I love how they connect themselves to this story. This is our story. When we had the race class, race in the gospel, uh, months ago, that was part of it. Like this is something that uh, this issue, which is such an important issue in our nation, is something that we are all a part of. And that's what Israel is doing here. They're taking ownership in their past and in their present. And they end with a lament. They started with praise. They end with a lament. So now today we are slaves in the land of plenty that you gave our ancestors for their enjoyment. We are slaves here in this good land. The lush produce of this land piles up in the hands of the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They have power over us and our livestock. We serve them at their pleasure and we are in great misery. Now that seems like a real downer to end, but what happens after this is they go on to renew their covenant with God. They renew their relationship with God. And I believe that when we get to that point where we see the greatness of God and the great love God has for us, we are ready to respond and follow and turn away from the things which hold us back, which hold us captive, whether it's as simple as coffee or our behaviors that are more noticeable, that break relationships and break communities and do damage to those around us. With that relationship established, knowing themselves and knowing God, they're able to renew and reestablish that relationship 
and experience the freedom and the restoration, the reconciliation and the liberation that comes with it. So what we're going to do is turn to a time of prayer. And, um, you know, these are these can be short prayers. God, I confess uh, my arrogance. I confess whatever. Uh, this is my prayer. And we all respond, this is our prayer. But as we do this, in the spirit of this passage, I would like us to also be thinking, and as maybe it comes to mind, be thinking of church history, whether that's North Harbor or whether that's all of church history that has done damage. And we confess that as well. Can we do that? Sure. Unite ourselves with the gracious God who's given us so much, but also unite ourselves with the history of the church that has not shown how glorious God is. Okay? Let's stand. I'll lead us off. And I will uh, end, as it seems like people are ending, I will uh, end with a declaration of forgiveness. Um, Let us pray for the cleansing of our hearts, confessing our sins to the one uh, whose mercy is everlasting. Redeeming God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as we ought. We have strayed from your commands. Do not remember our sins, but forgive our iniquities that we may fix our eyes on you and sin no more. Through Christ our Lord.